So I want to um, start out by making a very important, very deep theological and biblical statement straight out of the box. Okay? I want you to be ready to write this down, memorize it, because it could change your life. I'm a fan of summer. Like, as opposed to the school year calendar, uh, with the alarm clocks and the constant motion, I might be the only one. Okay, so it sounds like I could be the only one, actually, here. Um, anybody else feel like Jesus might like summer, too? Okay, we got, we got, we got. Summer to me, both individually for my family and as a pastor, is a really important time, not because of just the absence of what takes place, but because hopefully of the presence of being able to do something really unique. And that is to kind of pull back and slow down and to reflect, uh, to get some perspective and to pray in ways that are difficult sometimes when you're just like rolling through stuff. And I think it's really important that we do that. And I think it's really important that we recognize that even as a church, that's a really important rhythm for us to have. Because um, if you've been a part of Covenant for a while at a church kind of this size with this much going on, during the school year, it is like crazy busy around here with stuff happening all the time. And it's not that there's nothing happening now. We've got people going to Cuba. We've got people going to Houston this week. We've got all kinds of things going on. But it's not that daily craziness. And that's good for us. It's really good for us. It's good for our staff. It's good for our leadership. It's good for all of us. Um, this summer is a really important time for the leadership of our church, and it's that way every summer. We have what we call elders, ruling elders. We have 15 ruling elders. They're people from the congregation. Uh, we don't meet in July, and so we have a break between June and our August meetings, and this is where um, uh, we really kind of are asking God, what, what do you want to do with covenant? Where do you want to go? The June meeting before this break, we try to keep the schedule a little lighter. Well, this past meeting, this past June, even though we weren't meeting for two months, there was nothing on our agenda, nothing to talk about. I don't know if it's because just, I don't know why it is. It actually freaked me out a little bit, right? Because like it actually panicked me that you're like going through, it's like, we have to talk about something. Like, we have to vote on something, right? If any of you have been on session before, you're like, there's no way we didn't have anything to talk about, but we didn't. And so we actually spent the entire time in prayer. We actually spent the entire time talking about where covenant is, talking about where it needs to go, talking about how we need to be praying, what we need to be praying for, uh, spending time in prayer, and then committing to praying through that list we came up with throughout the next two months. And I think it's an awesome thing to realize that it was not the busiest meeting that we had, but it may be the most important. That, that we have, our 15 elders are committing to just praying for God's guidance and God's discernment on a whole host of things for this congregation, for all of us, about where we go into the future. It's less busy, but it's really important to just gain that perspective. It's true as a staff. We have every single person on staff here has to go through a similar process every year, and that is that we set measurable goals for every single person on staff. And these goals are, are, are looked at over a nine-month period, over the course of the program year or the school year. So that means that every single person on staff here by Labor Day has um, a few measurable goals that they've worked out with their supervisor. They've maybe talked to the committee they work with. They've talked to other people on staff. They work through the program year reviewing that. And at the end of the year, at the end of May, by Memorial Day, every 
single person on staff meets with their supervisor. They go through their goals, what worked, what didn't, why did it work, what do you learn from that, where do we go? And then the summer, the time we're in right now, is that part to kind of pull back and go, okay, what did I learn and what do I need to think about about my goals for next year? It's a different rhythm. It, it's, it's, it's a little bit removed from the daily grind, so to speak, but it's so important to pull back and gain that perspective. Does that make sense? It's a really important thing that we learn to do in our lives. And as a senior pastor, there are certain things that I think about over the summer. And one of the things that I think about is about the dynamics that exist in this church. And it's not that I can control this or I should control it, but I try to pay attention to it. And it's what I believe is kind of a tension that exists uh, at a church like Covenant. And when I say tension, I don't mean a bad tension. It's a healthy thing, but we have to understand it and cultivate it and pay attention to it. And that tension is, is that one of the cool things of Covenant is the amount of stuff that goes on, right? There's middle school ministry, there's high school ministry, there's D groups, there's small groups, there's men relationships, there's Presbyterian women, there's lamplighters for women's Bible studies, there's downtown men's Bible study, there's men in the word, there's mission trips, both locally in Austin and East Austin with uh, all this kind of stuff that goes on on the, on the drag. There's stuff that takes place internationally. We're having a group that goes to Cuba today. We're commissioning them at the end of the service as well. It's awesome. There's so much stuff. We have contemporary worship. We have traditional worship. We have all, you know, there's just like stuff happening all the time and it's good but one of the things you have to pay attention to or that I try to pay attention to over the summer is in the midst of all of that diversity, is there a common sense of direction in the midst of that, all that stuff, right? Like if all of our services and all of our mission trips and all of our discipleship opportunities, if they all exist on these little islands where they're like, well, this is just what I do and this is how we do it and it's how we've done it for a long time, that's bad for everybody, right? But the more and more that in our areas we can kind of go, this is sort of the general direction we're trying to go in the midst of doing it in diverse ways and celebrating that diversity, then, then that is good for everybody. So how do we do that? Well, we did stuff like we came up with a vision statement, encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play, trying to give common language and common values to the processes of what we're about. And then people say, well, how do you do that? What does that mean? I like those words, but what does it mean? Well, there's three practices we talk about in scripture. We're going to talk about it again in the fall. The practices of solitude, living in community, and doing service. These are three things that we see are biblical designs of how it is that you can get traction and, and, and pursue pursue certain things, that we need to have a relationship with Jesus, we need to have that sense of doing it in community, and we need to understand we're sent out to serve, like what you guys are going to be doing in Houston this week. That's an essential part of following God. And so I love it when I start seeing the kind of cross-pollination of stuff, right? Where we don't just go, well, this is how we do things, and we do it here this way, and then someone else does it over here a different way. Let me give you an example. We start rowing in the same direction. You see that? Uh, one of our opportunities, we send two groups a year to Cuba. We have, as I said, one group leaving today, or leaving this week that we're going to be commissioning today. The second group goes in the fall, and usually in October or November. And I got to go on our Cuba trip this past fall. I was a part of that group. Well, that's, in a sense, you could go, well, that's service, right? That's the going out part. We know that category. There's solitude, and there's community, and there's service, and this is the service part. And so we go out, and we do service. And yet, one of the things that happened on our Cuba trip was that we had devotions that were led by someone uh, who was part of the trip every morning. 
And one morning, one of the members of our, of our trip led the devotions, and they said, all right, well, today, uh, what we want to do is we just want to, like, open this up for prayer requests, and we want you to know, like, we really want to know how we can pray for each other. How can we really pray? What are the burdens on your heart? What are you sitting there thinking about, nervous about, worried about? And let's just, let, let's do that before we go back. And because this is what we do at Covenant, that's the kind of community we want to be. Well, it was a really cool thing because that was the first time I shared with any group from Covenant that my dad had been diagnosed with a terminal disease. I didn't plan on talking about it, but it's like, but, but what was awesome was, and each person in the group really shared some really powerful stuff that we all prayed for each other, and all of a sudden we started kind of becoming a small group. Does that make sense? It was like, because, and the person who led us like, because this is what we do. This is what Covenant does. And it's awesome when you start seeing it. It's like, so even on a mission trip, we're rowing in the same direction as people who were not in Cuba, who were back here, a part of covenant meeting in small groups, sharing prayer requests. You see what I mean by that? There's like, it was a different thing. It was a diverse thing. And yet there was a commonality to it that when someone said, this is what covenant does, we all sat there and were like, yep, this is what we do. There's a balance in there of all these different things happening, but yet is there a common sense of purpose and values and direction? I say all of that because that idea of finding common purpose, clearly having a purpose in the midst of a lot of different noise and messages is I think what the Apostle Paul is doing at the end of chapter 11 of Romans, which we're about to read. I think he's taking a lot of different things that are going on and he distills it down to going, this is the big idea. This is the thing. Don't get lost in, in all the different threads that we've been talking about. This is where I want it to come back to. And he kind of brings it home in a sense. Now, in this series that we're in, we talked about how uh, uh, as we go through a chapter of Romans a week over the summer, that the section we've been in the last three weeks kind of stands alone, okay? Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and what we're doing today, chapter 11. The last three weeks, people sort of look at it as like this little subset of the book, right? And it can be really controversial. So when I, I um, talked about that this is what we were going to do this summer, I had multiple people, multiple covenant people walking up to me. It's like, oh man, Romans 9 through 11. Can't wait to see how you do with that. Oh, are you going to avoid Romans 9 through 11? It's like a minefield. I wouldn't touch Romans 9 through 11. I think we should go from chapter 8 and just go to chapter 12. How are you going to handle Romans 9 through 11? And it's because for, for some people, they know Romans 9 through 11 has all of these different strands, all of these things running through it. And it can be, if you've been reading and following, it can be overwhelming, right? And the stuff that Paul's writing about here is deep. The, the, the question that he's dealing with in these chapters is all focused on a central question. And the central question he's asking in these three chapters is, what happens to Jewish people and ancient Israel who don't become Christians? Are they saved or not? That's the question he's dealing with. And as it is today, that is a conversation that can probably elicit some emotions and opinions among people, right? I bet there were some people in the church in Rome who had some who had some real opinions about this, because it touches on a number of things, some of which we try to do here. How do we think about salvation? How do we think about evangelism, right? How do we think about needing to do this? There are people who disagree. They fight over Romans 9 through 11 a ton. Over the last couple of weeks, I've read stuff online because how we do stuff as mature people in our culture days, we don't talk face to face, we post things. And then, and then that makes our point to people. And then we talk about people who disagree with us behind their back. 
because that's the biblical way of doing things, right? We handle it all online and in passive aggressive ways. And so there are huge online fights about this stuff, okay? I know you might not want to enter a Romans 9 through 11 fight, but just trust me, they're out there and people are passionate about this stuff because it, it, it really does matter. For example, there are people who look at Romans 9 through 11 and they specifically look at chapter 10, which John talked about last week, and they're like, this is clear. If you don't profess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Savior, this is how it works. It's an airtight formula. It works this way every way. People need to you know, understand that. And so we need to be teaching and hammering away at this stuff all the time about the dangers if you don't believe and what's going to happen. And so that's kind of one camp. And then you have other people who look at the exact same verses and they go, I don't really like Paul because I think he's a universalist. And you're like, what? How do people see this in the same couple of chapters? Some people are like, it's very clear that you must follow the narrow path. And other people are like, I don't like it because he includes everyone. And so just people, their fangs come out about this stuff. And it's like, oh, and they just start like battling it out, right? How are you going to deal with Romans 9 through 11? And salvation and everything. And then there are other people who are saying, well, they're not just about um, the ancient Israel and salvation, but this is also about how we think about Israel and the Middle East today. That Romans 9 through 11, that when, when we think about Israel, we're thinking about Benjamin Netanyahu, the president of Israel today, and, and how, because of course, that's what Paul was thinking about 2,000 years ago when he wrote this, is how should people in Austin, Texas deal with Benjamin Netanyahu 2,000 years later? But they're like, well, that's, it's, it's Israel, and so we have this. And then there's other people who are like, no, it's not the same thing of modern Israel and ancient Israel. And then they get in these huge fights online, and they, they lob hand grenades at each other about it. How are you going to deal with Romans 9 through 11? How are you going to deal with what's going on in the Middle East? How are you going to deal with, with all this different thing? Are you going to just kind of go Romans 8, Romans 12? Not going to look in there. All these landmines everywhere. And there are, there are all these threads, there's all this stuff here. But what Paul does at the end of this section, at the end of chapter 12, 11, which we're going to read today, is he kind of takes all the stuff, and I think what he's saying is don't get lost in all of that. It's not that it's unimportant, but in the end, it's not where he brings us back to. It's not what he focuses on in the end. We're going to bring these verses up here. It's just three verses, 25, 26, and 27 at the end of Romans 11. And listen to God's word to us today. Paul writes this. He says, so that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask today that no matter who we are, how we walk in here, that you would speak to us your gospel, your good news this morning. We pray that you would be very close. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we say, there's all of this stuff, all of these things going on in chapters 9, 10, 11, but where Paul comes back to in the end is saying that if we are looking at this, that in his opinion, in his viewpoint, yes, yes, is where he comes from, that the people of ancient Israel, that they will still be saved. They will know salvation, okay? 
And the reason he gives this, though, is really important because he says that it's not about them and what they do or we and what we do, but it's about God and what God is going to do and what God has done. You see, one of the things that you and I do naturally, and this is part of the sin that lives in all of us, is that we are naturally self-centered people. We just are. All of us are in our own ways. And so what happens is, is when we read the Bible, part of that self-centeredness comes out and is going, okay, the point of this is what it means for me today, right? Paul wrote 9, 10, and 11 to talk to me about how I'm supposed to live today. This is about me and what I'm supposed to do. And there is certainly a part of all scripture that is about this is how we live. This is what God wants us to do. This is where we go. But what Paul is saying here is that there's a danger in going, the point of 9, 10, and 11 is how we think about these current events or how we think about salvation or what we're supposed to do with evangelism and then how we're supposed to fight about that and everything we're supposed to do here. Paul is going back to where he has been throughout Romans going, guys, sorry, you are not the big idea. In the end, this is about God and God's faithfulness and that God will be present. What he says here is that the reason that he believes that the people of ancient Israel will still be saved is because of God's covenant relationship with them. You see that in verse 27, his covenant with them. Now, covenant is a really important word. It's a very specific word, and it means something about God and about his relationship with with the people of ancient Israel. What this means is, is that the covenant was established in the Old Testament when God said to the people, I will be your God and you will be my people. He says that to the people of Israel. He establishes this special relationship with them. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that sounds like a great deal, but how most deals work is that means that God's going to do certain things uh, and God has to live up to his end of the bargain. And then we are supposed to do certain things as the people. And that means if we do the right things and God does the right things, then we stay in that relationship. But the moment we mess that up, the relationship is ended. That's how almost every relationship in our world works. But God didn't establish this relationship this way. He doesn't say to the people, I will be your God if you all follow enough rules and do the right thing. He says in this relationship, it's a covenant that I will be your God and you will be my people. And there is no amount of rebellion. There is no amount of sin. There is no amount of falling short. There is no amount of temptation that exists in your life where God is going to look at you and go, I'm done with you. And so what we see throughout the Old Testament is the people continue to go, well, that's not what we want to do, and we want to live this way, and this is what we think is right, and then them kind of doing what sin does. We, we, we enjoy it for a moment, and then all of a sudden, life starts caving in on us, and God never abandons the people. He is always with them. And as John preached about last week from chapter 10, Jesus is not one who comes to nullify the law, Paul writes, he comes to fulfill it. So what he's saying here in these verses, and this is the answer to this question he starts with in chapter 9, is will the people of ancient Israel be saved? And Paul says yes. And the reason is not because of them, not because of anything that they've done to deserve it, not because of the Gentiles and that they've done something to deserve it, but but God is faithful. And when God establishes a covenant, that covenant will not be broken. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting. And so what Paul is saying is, is that just because Jesus is here, God is not looking at that old arrangement going, yeah, I don't pay attention to that anymore. I've moved on to something better. He says the whole nature of covenant is that God will be faithful all the time. Now, 
There's a part of us that can hear that and academically understand that and go, okay, cool, I got the answer to that. That was the question. Question in the beginning of chapter nine. Will the people of ancient Israel be saved? Answer at the end of chapter 11, yes, they will be. Let's move on to chapter 12. And factually, you've got everything there. But I want to stop for a moment and just celebrate this. Because if we pay attention, this is more than just an academic fact of how things worked in history. And we pay attention to what this news means still, then it's about the best news you're ever going to hear in your life. And the news is this, is that in faith, we are now inheritors of this promise. We inherit this. We are now a part of this equation. We are a part of this relationship. We are a part of this covenant. Where Paul takes all of this stuff and brings it back to in the end is saying this covenant is still real. It is still active. And you are now a part of it. That there's nowhere you can go. There's no sin that exists in your life. There's nothing you have done. There's nothing you have failed to do that is good. There is nothing that you can do where God will ever turn his back on you, abandon you, or throw up his hands in disgust and say, I can't deal with it anymore. That every moment of every day for each and every one of us, we face the future knowing that we face it with God, with Emmanuel, God who is with us. And as one theologian says, that should fill us and change how we live. It should mean that we can wake up every single day in the midst of all the difficulties and horrors that we see in our world and that we see in our lives and that we see in our families in the midst of being broken people in a broken world. It means we can live every day with a sense of hope and expectation about what the future will bring. For me... I'm reminded of that over the summer when I get to pull back and try to reflect. At our earlier, one of our earlier morning services, we had three adults who got baptized. And this is a great celebration. It's a great celebration to see people who are standing up and proclaiming Jesus. One of whom was a high school student, one of them was a middle school student. And they are proclaiming their faith for the first time. As we look back on this year, one of the things that I've seen, that I see this in covenant, this faithfulness of God, the idea that God is faithful as broken as we are, is that as our church is growing, one of the things that we've seen over the last four plus years is that over 70% of that growth has been among people that were not part of a church before coming here. And it's not a one-year blip on a radar screen. It's happening over and over and over again. And this week I had, or, or a few weeks ago, I had a pastor from San Antonio that heard about this who contacted me, and he's like, I'd like to kind of interview you, and I'd like to figure out like what's happening in this, and like how, what are y'all doing that's making this happen, and we're seeing this over and over again, because churches aren't growing, but churches especially aren't growing. The way churches that are growing grow is it's, it's among church swapping. It's not usually about kingdom growth. And he's like, I, I just want to know like what's happening. And I said, well, here, here's the deal. I don't know. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 no. I mean, again, we got to be humble and everything else, and I get that. But like, what are the things that you guys are doing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why this is happening. I am as, I am as surprised and as overjoyed by that as anyone. I don't know. 
And it's this thing that you're sitting there going, is it because covenant's so special? Is it because we figured stuff out? Is it because the staff has figured things out and we have the secret formula? We know the secret sauce and, you know, we got it locked away and we're not going to share with anyone else. It's like, no, I wish we did. I wish we did. Because if so, I could write a book and sell it all across the country and people would buy it and I would be wealthy, right? Like, because I have this, like, here are the three steps of how you do this. I don't know. God is doing something. God is doing something. And it's why it's so important that our elders are not having strategic planning meetings all the time, but they are praying about what's going on. Gord, we've seen you show up. What are you going to do? And here's the thing. As a pastor, as I look back on this year, no one is more stunned by this than I am. Because I am aware as I look back on this year of how much I have messed up. How much I look back and go, I wish I had said that differently. I wish I hadn't popped off at the mouth in that meeting that way. I wish I had introduced that to session differently. I wish we'd handled this differently. I wish I'd worked with the staff differently in these ways. I look back on all of these things and go, this, this is God. And God actually was with us going through this year. And boy, is Covenant going to mess up a lot of stuff next year. And boy, is Thomas going to mess up a lot of stuff next year. And yet I don't feel scared or worried or anxious about it because the same God that brought us this point is going to take us into what this next year is going to be. This is good news. And that's how I think about my life this summer as I look back on being a husband and a father and a son and a brother and a friend. I have messed up royally on every single front and God has not quit working in my life and it's a miracle. It is a miracle that I do not deserve. And that is what Paul is saying here. He is saying that the people of Israel can have hope because God has not walked away from them. And no matter who you are here today, God loves you and will never walk away from you either. And so you and I can look to tomorrow with hope and with expectation because we know the one who journeys beside us. And that, that's good news. That's gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this day that you would meet us all and remind us this day of your overwhelming love for us, that you see us and know us, and yet your covenant is strong. May that hope, may that truth infuse itself into us now so that we leave here as broken people in a broken world with scars and pain and worries and anxieties. And yet we walk out of here knowing the truth that we face it all with you. And that is all we need. May we live with hope and expectation this day and always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing and worship together.